Hello and welcome to the learning experience brought to you by Trainers Forum. Hosted by myself, Oscar and Mladen. Hi everyone, this season Oscar and I will explore the science and art of learning and learning in non-formal education. So buckle up and enjoy this episode. We're live. Today I'm speaking with Stefan van de Ven. He's an intercultural trainer and researcher that has a master in intercultural management and is also in a facilitator, facilitator and trainer in the youth sector, while also helping Trainers Forum in the online training festival this past January and will now continue in the events part. So today we're going to talk about intercultural training and intercultural things because this is a very new topic to me even though I am intercultural myself I don't know what it means to do a training on interculturality if that's even a word so Stefan the master of interculturalism thank you so much for being here how are you doing I'm I'm doing great man thank you really I'm really doing good very excited to jump into this because I have not attended that many trainings on intercultural learnings so that's what I wanted to learn about from you. What does this mean? And how can trainers use this to maybe open up people to be more honest and to accept others? I guess that's what it comes down to. But of course, you can, you'll be able to give your own definition of what intercultural training means. But first, how did you get into this? What is, where does intercultural curiosity come from? Um, how I got into this, it'll bring me back, I don't know, like eight years or so. Um, I remember working at, uh, at an event, um, in back, back in my home country in the Netherlands. And I had a question for myself, am I either going to join, um, some people from my school, from a university to a trip to Istanbul, or am I going to buy a new PlayStation 4 that was brand new at the time? Um, Eventually, I also spoke about this with my parents, and they said, you know, if you're going to go to Istanbul, then we'd be happy to help you out, you know, like uh, get you half the ticket or something. And that was like, that was the start of it all. I remember going to a city that I've never thought about going to, feeling estranged. It felt so exotic at the time and just weird i was i was like i was in a, a totally different world literally you know some people could speak yeah, english you're, um you're from the netherlands yeah, yeah so that was quite quite a quite a jump it, it was quite a jump you know i i came there with uh some people from a university i didn't know them really but it was organized by them and uh at a certain point we just were able to go off on our own and I found myself in the middle of this city, so estranged, so out of place. I'm like, wow, this is this really is something else. So that was the touching point of seeing different cultures, I guess, right? While seeing so much difference that I was feeling difference. You know, mm. it's it's so common and normal for them there, but it was so strange and new and exciting for me that I just wow, I, I had no grasp of how different it could be. Wow. But for a lot of people, I feel that like that could be even a shock if you're going to such a new culture and be like, I mean, usually it's surprising in a beautiful way. But how does that lead to you then wanting to do, helping others discover this magic? You know, this is this was the first trip that I had. Um, 
and following, there were many, 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 many more. I had the opportunity to go for an internship abroad with my studies. I studied abroad a semester as well. I worked abroad, and since then, I've joined one of the bigger European uh, organizations, youth organizations, uh, Erasmus Student Network, and um, I was involved for quite a while, nationally, locally, internationally even, that um, eventually I got into training and I was like, you know what, I can do this. I've always loved talking about cultures. I've always loved uh, engaging with, with people from other places and, and showing them the Dutch way in that moment. And oh, cool. um, it, it, was, it was awesome. Because even earlier than those eight years, I remember going from one school to the next, literally over the weekend, and we would have cross-cultural communication classes, and they would use uh, the book by uh, Hofstede uh, and the cultural dimensions and everything, and I remember I loved it, talking about right and wrong and this and that and, and these dichotomies. It was amazing at the time. But yeah. I also learned along the way that it didn't work enough for me. I kept on hitting these bumps. You know, every time that I got to a new place, you know, I learned about these dimensions. And then in reality, you know, how does that translate into actual interactions and encounters that you have with people? And I just could not make sense of it. What do you mean by that? Is that... Having learned from these amazing researchers, Hofstede, Trompenaars, um, yeah, and funny enough, they're Dutch as well, uh, but they're, they're they many the name more. Perfectly. Yeah, um, yeah, they're that too. Uh, Van Gogh, uh, just, just going to put that out there. And it's so hard for such a huge, and, and, and like, let's call them a meta study to put that on such a high level, it's being considered like that. This is the national level of the culture. And to translate that back into actual interactions you have with people on the ground, there are so many steps in between that you may have to consider getting to that mm. because a, um, for example, a Parisian way of life does not compare to that of the uh, Provence in that regard. Mm. And even the people in Paris or in the Provence are different from one another. So yeah. there is no translation between them. There is no, no, no link, no connection. And that really fucked me over <laughs> so many times. No, it literally did. I was like, I just could not make sense of everything that was happening. All these encounters that I had and all these cultural others that I was engaging with I just like guys like what is the one theory to help me make sense of this oh. and that's where I decided to do a master studies in intercultural management mm -hmm. and what does that mean what's intercultural management intercultural management um it, the, the word loan itself, it's about the management of an intercultural team or an intercultural department okay. or intercultural business uh, aspects in that regard. Mm. Um, so the master studies um, was a combination of some management subjects like marketing, communication, project management, and all yeah. that kind of stuff, along with um, 
intercultural studies in general. So we did again have a look at Hofstede and Trompenaars, but we also went a lot further into interpersonal theory, um, uh, interculturality, interculturalism, um, social sciences, anthropology, and, and all sorts of strands in, in academic research uh, in that regard. Mm. And that's what I loved. I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper at the heart of uh, some of these assumptions and theories and whatnot. And I could then start seeing like, hey, you know what they've said here, you know, you should not take it in such a literal way. Or I wish I had read the uh, disclaimer or um, beforehand, like, hey, it doesn't translate 100% at all. Mm. But that's a problem I had when I was younger, but I don't have as much today anymore. Mm. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so in intercultural training or in research, you're basically trying to extract the essence of what a culture is to be able to communicate that effectively, but that's what doesn't work. Is that what you're saying? Like in the Paris and Provence example. You know, it's really funny. I, I just put out an example of a capital city versus uh, the inland. Yeah. Yeah. And when what I typically see happening in interculturality is that people think about internationals, people coming from different countries. Mm -hmm. This is what I see happening quite a lot. Um, sure. And there's, there's different ways of going about this. And I would agree that, yeah, sure, there are differences between countries. There are differences, different profiles or way of behaving, way of acting and doing, even languages. Come on, let's just we'll have yeah. a look at Europe and how, much, uh, how many different languages we have in Europe. Um, and I'm saying we, as I identify myself also as European. Um, and if you would reflect that, a uh, tiny bit of land has so much diversity and compare that to, for example, the States where everybody speaks the same language, you need to start talking about it in a different dimension in that regard. Mm. If you then start talking about it in the States, I would start talking more about diversity and inclusion rather mm. than intercultural necessarily. Oh, interesting. Okay. That would intercultural generally signify international or no this it can be intra country as well yes exactly it's yeah. uh inter anything inter any group of people however they may identify themselves um intercultural can you can also translate to intergenerational yeah, yeah or yeah, interpolitical so, and so how does this translate to training when you're thinking of educating people on this subject and teaching others what are the main questions that you're looking to answer and how do you yeah teach this you know it's really difficult to say because there are so many different prompts or, or reasons yeah. to have a possible intercultural training sure throw out a few yeah so hey uh we're gonna be starting to do business with uh people from another country okay so how do we do business with people from there mm. Okay. Then you, for example, have, well, we have a very diverse team. We are an international team. Uh, we work with people from country X, Y, and Z. 
and we're starting to include also countries G to uh, J. You know, and how do we go about this this mix of intercultural uh, internationals in that regard? Like, how do we come mm. together? How do we work? Um, and so on and so forth. Or even as simple as, well, I'm going to be going on an exchange in a little while, and I want to prepare myself for what possibly I could come up with. You already said mm. uh, earlier this shock of of going to uh, a place abroad and and what that could mean and and how that would uh, yeah. envelop uh, for you and 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 what. And what what comes from that? There's so many different ways mm. of talking about the intercultural dimension. Hundred percent. But you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. That that reminds me of one country that was was still the most shocking for me. It was just Japan when I went there. So I was I wanted to make sure I didn't prepare myself beforehand, but I knew that Japanese were very different to Europeans. So I I, I was trying to not to do. Cr- crazy shit i was just like trying to be super proper so i wouldn't disrupt anything in japan because <laughs> i didn't know what was good and what was wrong and i guess that's what i could have educated myself on before because then when i met with a, with a japanese friend she was like yeah it's fine do whatever you want and they were more chill than i imagined but i don't know because the japanese are very much that culture of they have to save face right so you're not supposed to um yeah be too wild i guess Whereas Europeans or Americans, they just swear a lot sometimes, and yeah. and we can be loud on the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a big. That was a big difference. Yeah, and in that regard, I I could even suggest some things that I've picked up on and that I've learned about Japan. Although, as you say, uh, English uh, English speakers, Americans, as as you said, can be rather. Uh, loud be walking on the streets talking like that and you're talking about saving face in in public in japan um and then contradicting uh contradictingly uh this native person then um says well don't worry about it chill out just be relaxed and just do whatever you need um i actually also think the other way around in japan you can do the weirdest shit ever that's like, true. I've seen things pass by everywhere that the weirdest TV shows for me come from Japan. Yeah. Okay. That's true. The weirdest obstacle courses, things with fish. <laughs> so no, it's, fish. It, I, yeah, I'm okay there. <laughs> like, that one is out there. Um, so, what it, it, it's really interesting because. What I appreciate in what you were suggesting is not to do too much research before going there. Mm. Um, because it's, I, I believe that if you do too much research beforehand, it could be a uh, obstacle in seeing what is really happening. Mm. And another thing I really appreciated is that you were in touch with somebody uh, a native from Japan, and you could ask them about their experience. Now, why initially as well, I was talking about a Paris, um, a capital inland approach is because life is different everywhere. In the capital, it's different. In the country, it's different again. And you're going to, 
the best thing I, I would suggest is that you, you connect with somebody from there, from any given area, place, generation, group, culture, to try and understand what are what is the culture? Mm. What is it about? What is happening here that is perhaps new for me? Or, yeah, sometimes you also get things confirmed. You know, we, we have these stereotypes and these stereotypes can sometimes be true. However, what's behind it may not be clear to us, may not be clear to them. But, you know, that's just the way things are done. Or that's what we receive and register. And there might be an entirely different message behind it. Totally, totally. So it has a lot of different layers. And it are it are exactly these kinds of layers that can only come out when you talk with people mm. and when you're being open and honest about things. True. Yeah, you mentioned that op openness, honesty is very important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so go going back to like the, the corporate example of saying we're going to work with a new culture or we're hiring people from different countries now, how would you go about like making that or facilitating that, making that a lot easier for everybody? Does it depend on the country? Like, what's the, what's some, how does that work? That is a very good question. I'm not necessarily sure I that it may depend on a given country, because, you know, you have culture, um, cultural standards on a country level, but there are all also cultural standards in a company, a company culture. Mm. Okay, and. If you're talking about mergers or acquisitions, you're merging two different company cultures, also intercultural, okay? Yeah. That are coming together. Oh, shoot. Um, if I go down a little further, let me just tell you this. You have the IT culture, you have finance culture, you have marketing culture, you have sales culture. That's true. You have management culture, CEO culture. You operations, uh, events, name it. There are so many different ways of looking at culture. Mm. Um, so before before I continue here, like I want to offer two uh, ways of looking at culture that I very much appreciate. And that is that for me, I would say one, culture is communication and communication is culture. Everything that we say, we cool. do, we we wear, we see, we perceive is communication and also culture. And the culture layer comes into when we add a certain value to things. Mm -hmm. It's a very broad, very vague term, and you can stretch it in so many different ways. Yeah. Culture is communication. Communication is culture. 100%. Um, say, for example, here, what's happening right now, we're having this podcast. Before we even opened up our computers, we know we were going to do there. We were going to use Zoom, which is a different kind of communication mm. platform. But also, um, we speak, I know for a fact that we speak a few languages, uh, either of us. Yeah. But before, without even a question or whatnot, we already assumed that we were going to speak English together. That's true. Yeah. And these kinds of things, uh, these kinds of assumptions, that are there um, make up, yeah, some part of the culture, oh. not everything of it, but some part of it, um, but also being part of TSF uh, and OTF, um, 
I have picked up on quite of some of these cultural cues, what is normal, what is appreciated, what is um, mm. not appreciated, what would we avoid talking or saying, or uh, this entire new thing about how they organize themselves. It's it's exciting. You know, every business organizes themselves differently again. So you got to pick up on a lot of things. Oh, um, that's interesting. Then there, yeah, there's that. So wait, yeah, wait, just to pick that up apart a little bit. So basically what you're saying, it's very important when observing cultural, I mean, communication in general is to like understand what nuances or what things to talk about or not talk about. What are the, the norms? Is that where you start when you're wanting to understand a culture? Is that what you start with? Absolutely. I, I would start there um, because it helps a new person see what is normal, what is happening. Um, mm. So honestly, you can you can go about it so many different ways. And I know so many trainers already do this in icebreakers, in team bonding events. Um, intercultural is just another dimension or way of talking about this. If it's relevant for you, then it's going to be relevant for your participants oh. and for your company and for your team. Okay. Um, Would you say that in adding interculturality is like a like a extra layer of frosting on training in general? Like, is something you should think about in to make it nicer and well to basically integrate everybody, make everybody feel more welcomed, keep interculturality in mind. <laughs> I would even uh, I would go further to suggest that uh, intercultural training makes use of the same ingredients as training does. Mm -hmm. It adds one or two uh, uh, spices to it called intercultural, international, whatever is going to be relevant, yeah. and makes a wonderful uh, cake. I love cake. Yeah. I just love cake. Me too. Uh, makes a wonderful cake with different layers, whatever is necessary for that organization. And any training is a form of a cake. Mm. Um, just intercultural uses two or three different elements additionally to um, overall training does. Okay, okay, okay. What would you say those main ingredients that interculturality adds are? Obviously, I would go about knowledge if that is important. Mm -hmm. um, Knowledge can be important when it is something that the um, the client wants to address. Um, just like you suggested, we are um, an organization and we have hired some internationals. We would like to do um, a training with them to uh, work out uh, a, a nice team culture or, or organization culture. That's when it's relevant. It's when it's suggested. Um, and that's also when you could perhaps include some of that knowledge. Um, however, I would go uh, take off a layer still and simply talk about the concepts, the abstract concepts behind it. Because interculturality is just a different way of looking at collaboration, of working together, of diversity and inclusion. Um, on, a, on, on, on the international, intercultural, cross-cultural layer of things. It's just a different way of talking about it. Um, 
like I said, there's uh, there's also if you are going to have a uh, project team with people from different departments, they all have a different culture, they all have a different language, they all have a different vocabulary, way of working, different tools they use, different programs, um, different ways they manage their meetings, as simple as that. Even different preferences on how they manage their work flow and their work in general do they use perhaps trello or asana or simply a uh, kanban board in the in the meeting room um you're you're gonna have to bring together or select the most useful ones for everybody you know and i'm here talking about teamwork and and those kinds of things um and the layer of culture may not be implicit or, or directly there, but it is an underlying factor. Yeah, definitely. Hello, learners. You've reached the midpoint of the episode. I wanted to let you know that the mission of the learning experience is to connect learners and educators throughout the world, which is the same for Trainers Forum, which is how this podcast is hosted. Please go check out trainersforum.org on the website or either on Facebook or on Instagram to learn more and connect with other awesome people. The learning experience is also on Instagram at the learning experience with a dot between each word. And you can also check out myself as well as my co-host and Laden on Instagram, Facebook, wherever you use social media is my full name, Oscar War. And all of these links are, will be in the description. Otherwise, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. And back to the show. And that makes me think that often when you're growing a company or if you're like, if it's a new company, especially then this is not something that you may be thinking about um, at all, or at least from the, from the go until you hit like some kind of wall and we're like, oh shit, maybe this is what, why shit's hitting the fan is because we haven't considered people are from different cultures or aren't communicating effectively. So I'm wondering like, what could happen if people don't think about um, that they or that they even need to make sure that people fit in culturally with their let's start with an organization like if they don't address it yeah if you don't address it you're gonna have a very high turnover mm. and turnover here i mean that people are going to join your company they're going to be there for a little while um, in the trial period they're going to try their best to really try and fit in you know because they want to have the job they want to really get into that company but as time progresses, they start learning that um, they, they may, ex no, not learning, they may experience that the way the company works doesn't work for them personally. Hmm. The way the company culture is may not work for them culturally. And that's, that's just, it. it's the way of working, yeah. the way of doing, the way of behaving. Um, and for that, I, I would like to invite a second um, definition it's, it's a little bit longer and um, I'll make sure to, to note it down uh, for the notes later culture in its broadest sense is cultivated behavior mm -hmm. okay so culture in its broadest sense is cultivated behavior so everything that you've learned up until this very day everything that is and how you act behave and and um, you know, as we're talking English here, I'm going to talk Dutch with my parents, but also in a very different way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, 
some people would say with more respect or more uh, compassion um, and, and, and a different choice of words and so on and so forth. Okay, this continues. It's the totality of a person's learned and accumulated experience which is socially transmitted, okay? So it's in interaction with other people. It has to be in interaction with other people because we are social beings. This is a, hmm. one of the many fa um, standpoints that I have. We are social beings. We need to interact with people in order to survive. You can minimize your interactions, sure. There, there are people that appreciate that. However, as we are babies, as we are infants growing up, we need people around us to help us survive. Continue there. And what we learn from them, how we interact with them, uh, don't touch this, don't do touch that. Uh, this is okay. That's not okay. That's good. That's bad. Um, if you're going to speak with your superior, do it this and this and this way. If you're going to speak with a colleague, then be formal or get to the point, uh, just enjoy a conversation very informally, mm. whatever is normal for you. Uh-huh. And I about, um, sorry to pause there one sec. And how about that for the online environment then? Because if you're saying that we need to be social creatures, I mean, yeah, I, I know that as well since I studied psychology, but yeah. in terms of, um, yeah, being able to interact and understand Companies, cultures, especially if you're starting online with a new company, that must be especially difficult. No, how would you approach that? Yeah, online is a different monster entirely. Yeah. yeah. And um, aside from you know, you you work in a company and you know how how things work, how things go, everything is gonna go out the window when you start going online in that regard. And people have to find their way again. You know, you have your old way of working together and then all of a sudden you need to change it all up. And that's natural um, for some, mom in some moments, very unfortunate, but it's natural that you have to adapt. You have to change your tools, your, your ways of communicating, when you can communicate, who you're going to communicate with, how um, in an online environment. Um, for example, we in real life, we would have had this meeting just in person in a cafe, probably yeah. having a nice drink, coffee, and just talking about this, or maybe in a studio, if that would be the case. Um, in an online setting, where are you going to meet together? You know, are you going to integrate everything into a Microsoft Office environment? So you're going to be on Teams or are you going to go all outsourced in Zoom or are you using a different tool entirely? Mm -hmm. uh, other conferencing tools um, where you can communicate. How are you going to manage the rest of your team? Are you going to use... Um, emails are you going to use a project management tool um are you just gonna run uh, to-do lists you know whatever works for you whatever it, it's it it'll you'll be testing and trying and, and doing so many things again anew and i personally think it's very exciting yeah, but i also know that it's very tiring just to hit that sweet spot you know yeah, because people Cause need to be... It doesn't work entirely. Yeah, they need to be figuring out what works because there's no right answer or 
culture that's been established of like online working teams, especially. Yet that, exactly. that works. Yeah. Exactly. And even every time that you enter a new team or organization, uh, it's going to be that much harder because so many of the cultural cues that are out there, you are going to miss. Mm. You know, let's, let's even just start off with in language, okay? In group language. Um, yeah. I, I've, been on, <laughs> I've been on quite a few trainings. And I'm very sure that many of the listeners will recognize this one is one clap, two claps, <laughs> three claps. There, there. It's it's such it it has such a cultural significance to that event to that training that it doesn't translate into the real world. Uh, into the outside world <laughs> in that regard. Yeah. And it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Just a stupid clap is enough <laughs> to like bring you back to that moment where you were doing that with that group in that in that situation mm. it's it's so exciting you know it's you're gonna miss these kinds of cues and wow you it's it takes so much effort to really pay attention to what's happening so much effort i've read it time and time again also for coaching if you really listen to people for an hour, you are going to be tired afterwards because it is keeping your mind there, staying conscious. Literally, it's it's the hardest thing ever. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that mean that may be an exaggeration, but it's <laughs> it's really it's it can be really hard true, to really listen and to really be there and try and pick up on cues, and then mm. you're gonna think there's a cue or something. Uh, and whenever there's somebody, for example, uh, says something funny, uh, you send out a clap emoticon. Yeah, it's not the same. Because you've seen that happen before, yeah. you know? You've seen that happen before. And people are going to be like, why? Why, why are you sending that? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I think I had a cultural cue. But yeah. you won't say that. That's not where the conversation goes, but uh, yeah, yeah. maybe 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 a colleague would be as nice as enough to to come in like, hey, yeah, so that clap, yeah, that wasn't that that, that wasn't cool, you know, that was not cool. Um, uh, just because you weren't paying attention. That's yeah, you were paying attention. You thought you had you it right, so. but you weren't. <laughs> you weren't right. That's not how it works. Yeah, and that's I think where you. Um, you finally get to the point like, okay, you know, hey guys, I'm really trying to pay attention. Somebody notices that. And that's where you really start getting into the culture. Mm, that's true. It's that first hurdle, that first bottleneck, that first failure, perhaps you could even say that one's going to bring you in. That's so true. And that brings up the thought that, yeah, that it's so important that people need to be like non-judging and understanding of the different difficulties that can come up in this online environment and yeah one other thing that i wanted to say was i love it's so funny when you were mentioning like the clapping and creating your own culture yeah i never thought of it like that i think but yeah when you go to a training event or you find your people or you go to like yeah you spend a week with 
for a conference, then you're like, yeah, you have a special language. And that's so cool. Like, I still want to do this, which is just shaking my hand, which means that I agree in certain contexts. But for other contexts, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It's like a baby shaking their hands. <laughs> it means I agree in a lot of uh, tr training yeah. settings. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And just like that, you pick up on so many different ways of connecting with people. And whenever you're going to see these people, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, one class, guys, one class. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just, it's crazy. That's so funny. Yeah. And you develop that culture and you're like, ah, why can't I share it? Well, because people weren't part, part yeah. of that experience. Yeah. And I think I think the most the most obvious one that is so prevalent in online right now mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry, you're still on mute. <laughs> That's becoming part of the culture. Yeah. It is. It is. It's, it is already part of the culture. And it, and um, it, not for everybody, but for many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they've heard it, they've seen it, and they repeat it. almost it. triggered me to be like, oh shit, am I on mute? <laughs> but of course I was. Exactly. <laughs> I've heard it so many times. And that's wonderful. Yeah. That is wonderful because what you're saying right there, it is not just words, you're on mute. It's also a trigger. Yeah. It's you feeling the worry like, hey, I am actually on mute. Nobody can hear me. I need to check my mic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and, and, and that has become such an integral part of the online uh, culture without us even noticing. True, true. That's crazy. One other question that came to mind, or did you want to finish the definition of culture that you were going through, actually? No, that's okay. <laughs> okay, cool. I'll, uh, I'll make sure it's in the notes. It just ends up with, more briefly, it's behavior influenced by social learning. So just like we explained, uh, behavior learned by so through social learning, hey, you're on mute. <laughs> somebody tells you you're on mute you check yeah it's social it's new behavior that you've learned because of that that's true that's true and i feel like we've adapted quite well to that i mean it became a thing now everybody knows what it means and people know how to react and yeah at the beginning you had to help your grandma to find the unmute button but now she knows so mm -hmm. th that's good and one question that comes from that i'm wondering can well, you, from before, where you were saying that companies who don't know how to integrate people well to their culture, they end up leaving. Is there a way of having most companies be able to integrate people into their culture? Like, is there some kind of step-by-step -step process where integration works better? If, um, if they're aware of it, of course. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I'm not necessarily aware of a step-by-step -step program. However, I could sketch what it would look like, though. Sure. Um, the thing is, when we're talking about business, um, I will more likely speak about diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. Because diversity and inclusion uh, does not just look at the intercultural aspect, but also at age, gender, sexuality, political beliefs, uh, religion, if that is the thing there. Um, and so on and so forth. It's intersectional in that regard. And even intersectional in the way that when you're working with people from so many different places um, or different backgrounds, I would rather say people with different backgrounds, 
although you may come from the same village or from the same country, you are still in the capital and somebody else is from the country, from inland. And you will have an entirely different way of looking at certain things. From not just from a country perspective, but also from a capital perspective. Even if you go deeper into, well, you were maybe from a low-income family in the capital, whereas the one in the country was of a middle-higher income, you're going to have a totally different experience mm -hmm. of holidays, of what you did, what you explored, where you hung out, what you listened to music-wise, um, what you would wear clothes-wise, where you would go shopping, who your friends were who you did not speak to, what university you went to. If you went to a university, it can also just be school. You can also be working since you were 12, 13. Um, you're going to have a totally different background and experience in life that is going to bring all these different layers of, um, of working and, and connecting with people. In an organization, um, you're going to connect with people that have just a different way of looking at it. Um, ideally, you can look at onboarding them on the vision, creating a shared vision in that regard. Mm -hmm. Now, it's quite exhausting to do that every time you have a new employee. Um, I'm not sure how that would go there in, in big organizations. But I think personally that there needs to be a culture that accepts change and diversity and um, that will respond more quickly to what is happening um, in the work uh, on the work floor what is happening in between colleagues um, and that's going to be open and honest to listen truly listen to people uh, with their perspectives, with a different perspective, different backgrounds, different ideas, convictions. Um, and I'm going to push it even further, different ideologies of how things should be or how things ought to be or how they would like to see things or how they're used to seeing things. Um, it's going to shake worlds. It's going to tilt it upside down but you're going to be rich in actual diversity in intellectual diversity. And right there, this is something that I still really need to develop. And I was introduced during my master studies to a uh, researcher and now a writer and coach, um, Sabatoth. And I'm, I'm, I'm very sure I'm not pronouncing this right. My Hungarian's not that great. Um, but he's developed a tool for business to talk about cultural diversity um, and why it is that we all see the world so differently. Like I said, I've got a lot to read there, but I'll make sure it's, uh, it's included in the notes. I'll make I'll give that book reference. Awesome. Yeah, so when bringing on so many different people, I guess the the goal is to be able to allow everybody to communicate openly and feel at ease, right? And yeah, provide that space for that 
so that they can talk about what's important to them without feeling uh, attacked, I guess, or just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. And in training, we call that creating a safe space, yeah. but also creating rapport with your uh, audience, with your clients, with your uh, participants in that regard. That's cool. Are there any specific tools or techniques you'd use to create that rapport or build that safe space in general? I think this goes back to your training philo uh, philosophy on what you think you should do at first. Um, I have nailed down on, on one that I very much appreciate. Some may recognize this. It is by a, um, uh, a Dutch trainer called Karen de Galan. And what she has, she is a is a wonderful metaphor: the slide and the stairs. Oh. I I just love this metaphor, and it's being used in a, a few organizations in the Netherlands. I don't think I've heard of it. Um, I'll put that link out there as well, and an it's English uh, small yeah. small brochure. Um, the slide and the stairs. The slide is where uh, you get participants into the training room and into the training mode. Okay. Um, and you have three different stages of the slide. There's people that have no pain. They don't believe that there's any problem and they have definitely no faith in you in delivering whatever it is you think you need to deliver because there is nothing wrong with every, anything. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What's wonderful for these people is confronting them with reality. Yeah. Okay. So if you think there's nothing wrong and you're definitely not going to go on board with this, then I'm going to confront you with reality and I'll show you and your colleagues will show you what it is that it's not working. Then you've got people that know that there's something, some problem, there's a pain, but they don't have any trust yet. They don't think that they can get out of it mm. or, or, or learn anything from you or in this training. Um, and what you ought to do with these people is discuss with them, get them out of their, um, their box, their, their limited mindset that there's no solution here. Um, this is just reality we have to deal with. Whereas that is only true if you really believe it. Mm, yeah. Makes sense. Getting to getting them talking, getting them thinking about, okay, so then have you done other things in the past to try and solve this? It's like, well, no, and this and that. And okay, guys, uh, anybody else have this kind of experience? Yes, I have. I have. Okay, so what did you do in the past? Well, I tried this and 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 this. But that didn't work. Yeah, no. Well, then why didn't it work? And you discuss with them. You get them out of that frame and start getting them into, okay, so... I know, like, there is, there are steps that you can take to get out of it. Mm. Um, and then lastly, you have people that have that problem and are so ready to learn something more. You simply have to say, all right, guys, we are going to do this wonderful workshop here right now. Who's <laughs> in? You know, and they start clapping already. Like, yes, <laughs> let's do this. Let's get going. And this is, this is the, this is the, easiest target group in that yeah, regard on getting them on board yeah. but also sometimes really hard because it's hard for them to have proper expectations of mm. what they are going to learn so that's something that you have to look into properly in order to run that training then we got the stairs there's um 
small theoretical thing or presentation or video, a to-do list that you're making, whatever is necessary for that situation. Then you do a small practice. Mm. Did you get it? Did you understand it? And then you just run it one more time. Like, hey, did you like really get it? Like, how does mm. that relate now to your reality? Oh, okay, okay. And then those are the three steps officially. You could add a fourth is to bring it into practice. Bring it into your yeah. uh, professional, personal life. Um, and if you may already hear me talking about this, uh, it has been built on the Kolb cycle. Yeah. Okay. You first need to get, you need to lure the participants into a learnish mode through different ways. Um, those are three steps of the Kolb cycle. Sometimes just an introduction is enough, you know, and then have them uh, get some theory or whatever it is, uh, some practicals, let them practice with a small exercise and then reflect on that exercise. Do they really get it? And then you would bring it into reality, into your work life. Awesome. Yeah, I was even putting the steps into like the cycle <laughs> as you were speaking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I love this one. I really, really, really enjoy this one because it's such a nice metaphor. Um, because every time that you've done a new few steps, you can start the cycle again. Mm. You can start the slide um, and you can tackle a new problem. That makes sense. When I would go about intercultural training, I would start with confronting or with a situation, why there is something and what it is and uh, that they can learn. Um, one of the most wonderful examples I've had, and it's so simple. I love this. I was in a training for trainers. Um, I was an assistant at the time and uh, they were running like 40 people on location and each group of four or five people had a small set of Legos and they had a small instruction manual and they had all the same uh, set. It was up to them to develop that Lego, create that model as fast as they could while the assistants was timing them and then they would compete with the other teams. They kept improving, they kept improving and then they went about it in such a way like, hey guys, so you're now developing this, this uh, vehicle, this device with the Lego and training is exactly like that. You have all these different parts, these different components that have a place in the overall uh, scheme of things. And instead of working on it all at once, in training, you're going to focus on one of the elements. So just like that, an introductory intercultural training will have a look at the model entirely, but there are so many different aspects to it, aspects to an engine, to the wheels, to steering, to... Um, sitting arrangements and so on and so forth that you can think about, you can perfect, you can develop, and that you're also likely going to be amazing at as well already. And showing them that, hey, take out this element. We're going to be working on this today and go deeper. Mm -hmm. 
because there's so much to cover. Yeah. Even for this uh, for this podcast, there's so much more to cover. Of course. Wow, that was really interesting. I was very um, in what in the story that you were talking about. That's super cool. And yeah, we actually have we're at the end of our time almost. So I'm wondering now, what would you want people to take action on when they listen to the, this podcast? What's something that they can implement or start thinking about after regarding intercultural training? One of the few things that I would recommend is to take a very critical stance towards intercultural theory that is out there. Mm. Um, like we were talking about before, doing research beforehand, going somewhere or doing business in a given country or uh, because that person comes from that and that place, uh, they'll have a different way of doing uh, their teamwork. It's going to help you, but it can also be hindering you in and in, in, in keep you from doing the best possible. Onboarding people can help you quite a lot, onboarding them into the team culture. Um, but what if you have uh, a cultural clash in that regard? How do you go about that? Or any clash, any conflict uh, in that regard is simply talk about what you think and see is happening. There are some things about facilitating dialogues that I've learned and picked up along the way that if you see that a conversation is steering or in a specific direction or only a few people are talking, yeah. address this, reflect this, and then let the group do something about it if they want to do mm. anything about it. Hey guys, uh, I'm noticing that uh, mostly that corner is talking. Mm -hmm. And it's up to the group. Mm. If that group works that way, the group dynamics, the group culture is that way, then it is that way and be okay with that. And that, that for me is really the, the, the most important one is to reflect what is there, to reflect what you think you're seeing, yeah. to get people out of their unconscious and automatic way of doing things and get them to review um, what is what is it that we are doing? What is it that we keep doing, but we don't notice? What is it that we keep doing that keeps us from going ahead and tackle it in that way? Awesome. Yeah, always be critical and then notice what's maybe preventing you from going ahead. Yeah. Awesome. And it's, yeah, it requires uh, quite a bit of insight and definitely a lot of practice. Yeah, yeah like anything. But for, first step yeah. is awareness. So I'm thankful that you brought that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Stefan, for your, for your time. And if one of people want to learn more about what you're doing, you said you're pretty active on LinkedIn. Where else can people find you? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you said, LinkedIn. Uh, I'm very active there. Um, I am a active youth worker and a part of Trainers Forum and to be exact events team of online training festival. You're going to see a lot of things happening there uh, if you're connected to uh, OTF and TSF. Um, aside from that, I'm in the youth sector. So I'm working on education umbrella network. We'll make sure that there's a link out there. And of course, I have my own website with uh, services that I provide and offer. Oh, yeah. 
your website should be up by the time this podcast comes out. SB. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to be sbvandevan.com. I know it's very Dutch. And I heard a joke the other day. Are that not too many vans in there? No, no, no. It's a van and van. van. Okay. It's a van and van. It's the, it's, oh, it's the wonderful Dutch thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got the double whammy almost. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be great. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for everything. Thank you.